Today's guest has deep experience in the B2B SaaS space, both at a startup VC level, also at the enterprise level. He's the CEO and founder of Jeff Kushmer Consulting Group, where they help startups with their post-sale customer journey. And he also has a podcast called Getting Services Done, where he talks about all his stories in the trenches of running professional services organizations within these SaaS organizations. So please welcome Jeff Kushmer. You're listening to C-Suite Blueprint, the show for C-Suite leaders. Here we discuss no BS approaches to organizational readiness and digital transformation. Let's start the show. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for being here. Good. I'm glad I was able to put that coffee cup down while you were <laughs> saying that. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> so, so when we were talking about this, you know, we've both been in professional services for what seems like forever. We were joking about, you know, what's new with the phrase digital transformation to what we were doing, you know, tw- over 20 years ago. And I was curious, you know, what do you see? What was digital transformation before it was called digital digital transformation? And what's different from then versus now? Yeah, yeah I'm laughing. And I think, you know, why is that my first digital transformation was in, and I'm going to date myself, 1997. And I was actually, it's a really cool digital transformation story where I was working at a law firm that was representing very large brands that everyone here knows that were constantly getting sued about the same things. And so back in the old days, the legal team, like the paralegals would go around and the lawyers would tag stuff with these little flags and you'd go photocopy them and you'd send off just boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff to people. And so, you know, so we did the streamlining thing where all these documents that were always being used in these court cases were scanned in. They had these numbers, they're in a database. And, you know, when when this car company is getting sued about this catalytic converter, it is time to send out this collection of documents and send them out. And, and you know, the, the reason why I really like that story is because it encapsulates how I think about working on digital transformations these days, which is following a jobs to be done framework, right? Like we were talking about a job that's being done that was going uh, over and over again, doing the same thing and causing a lot of expensive billable hours. But y- it's very clear what needs to happen. And a lot of people, when they think about these big digital transformation pro- projects, they might approach it for the wrong reason. Like, oh, we need to rip and replace that software. Or we need to do X. We need to do Y. Mm-hmm. And I think people are getting a lot smarter, at least what I've been exposed to over the last couple of years, about what are the jobs the users are trying to do, right? And if you can approach things from there, uh, especially in the in sort of the agile frameworks and mindsets that have come about and gotten a lot more popular uh, over the last few years, you realize like let's work on the most important things first and then go from there. And then you know fold in all the the fun architecture work and things like that. But it's still I feel too broad of a term, but it's 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 enough of a term that that people understand what you're doing. But I can talk, I can see five projects I did over the last five years. They were all digital transformations and you would maybe, they were just dramatically different, right? Where you're talking going from on-premise software to being in the cloud. You're talking about, you know, you're going from paper to digital, you know, all these different scenarios. So I think it's very important to frame that somebody else, you know, what would be a dramatic digital transformation for some people isn't really that much for somebody else. You know, it depends on the level of tech, the level of maturity of the company. You know, you could be a 200 year old insurance company and you're still doing everything on paper. And that's a dramatic digital transformation that needs to happen to keep up with your client base because they're like, this is ridiculous. And 
think that's what I'm going to just realize I going to go down a long path of why people need to work on these things. Well, I'll stop from there and, and hopefully you got something tangible out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I love the jobs to be done framework because at the end of the day, it's like this job has to be accomplished. Can you make this better? Can you, can you change the way that this job is being accomplished? Are there unmet needs that you can now meet, you know, and it's, it's technology part of that for sure. Right. But th there's all these other things and is is funny getting back to that, you know, is this digital transformation? Like uh, we're, we're mainframes and terminals. Oh yeah. Digital transformation. If you think about it, just for people that weren't part of this, if you were doing a swap out or you're going from one thing to the next, the first thing you would do would be a massive amount of business analysis where you get together a grid of features and then you just basically have to map up and make sure you're getting all those features. And nobody ever went in and said, do you need to do this? Do you need to do that? It was like, no, everybody's going to complain if they can't do the exact same thing. Right. And I always talk about the big green button, which was uh, uh, when we were building some custom software for some people and they were getting off of uh, another piece of custom software and they were like, we need the big green button here. And it was literally a green button. And it was like, well, what, you know, and we're not going to sign off on this project until the green button's there. I'm like, well, what does the green button do? I'm like, oh, well, now it enables us to get the current report and export it to Excel. I'm like, okay, so you need export to Excel functionality so that you can do what? And they're like, Oh, so that we can run our formulas on it, right? And so you start, you know, as you know, in the consultant thing, just ask five questions and you'll eventually get to the answer. And instead, you know, I remember back in the old days, we'd be like, let's go build that green button. Let's scope it out. Let's get this change order going and make sure that we get that big green button there. And you just wind up bolting on and building lots of unneeded software that has to get maintained over the time. Enough about the green button. What are you trying <laughs> to accomplish here? <laughs> I know you stare at the screen for 20 hours a day, but here's this new solution. You're going to take it and you're going to like it, right? Rather than really focusing on that experience. On that note, look how long it took to replace airline technology from the green screens. And it wasn't because of ease of use. It was for speed of having all those systems connected and everything. And everyone was like, and you go to the airport and even in like 2010, maybe, and you're like, I can't believe you guys are using green screens and dot matrix. And they're like, bring us something faster and we'll do it. But like, it, you know, can you, can you go faster than what we're currently using right now? And that's a good question. So, you know, you get the UI, it starts making things slower. And, you know, at the end of the day, what's the job to be done? Like we're really, we're on, I'm at a ticket gate and you're trying to find out when's the next available plane and get you on that thing as fast as possible. And in seconds and minutes count. So, yeah, I think the other changes I've seen over time is I think early days, it seemed like it was more do or die on your technology decisions. You know, which one are we going to choose? And you go through a lengthy evaluation, Where whereas now it's like, pick one off, whichever one you want to pick. Just, just pick, pick it, it and, and let's, let's move forward. forward. Well, you're right. There was like, what, it was like IBM and Microsoft and then, you know, like, or whatever. I mean, as an example, but there weren't too many, you know, systems out there. And it was a huge investment before SaaS, right? Or, or, or in this current landscape where you had to get servers set up and you had to have IT set up the servers and you had to, you know, go through all of that stuff and everything and, and pick, decide, you know, do the SWOT analysis on the software and everything where, where you're right now, it's like, okay, we'll try this, but I'll, you know, you know, as long as there's a Zapier connection, we can swap in and swap out, um, you know, a piece of software if we need to or something like that. Or, you know, now that the API, so many companies are API centric and API first base, you, you can, you can, you can do a better evaluation and you can say, hey, this isn't working for us. We need to bring something else in and it's not going to be a multi-million dollar project to do that. Yeah. It, it, what I love about your experience is, is you've 
you've led professional services within so many different SaaS companies. And what I find interesting about that's because I'm, I've always been on the outside of a, of a software company. When you're in the inside running professional services, I feel like you're always in the position of wherever the promise that was made of what this software is supposed to do versus the client expectations. Like that's that's what you need to now fill that gap. And I'm, I'm curious about that experience. There And can I swear on this podcast? I'm trying to think of like, what's the advice? <laughs> you can, we'll just have to flag it. <laughs> It'll be, have the explicit rating like a Dr. Graham. Uh, no, I won't do that to yeah, you. Yeah, maybe like, we'll get more interest. <laughs> so I do have, so it's a dramatically different thing. And I've done both. You know, I, I did about four or five years of, uh, before I moved into what I'm doing now, where it was, building custom stuff, a bespoke software where you weren't tied to a software or SaaS company. And the, the difference is dramatic. My essential motto for that is don't F with the ARR, right? And so mm. what does that mean? That means that somebody made a purchase decision to, to take your software on. And then they said, okay, now typically when you're selling into side, in, sorry, inside the enterprise, uh, you need integration work, definitely. Um, you know, in in if you're if you're working for a really important software, a really valuable company, the re you know that you're doing really well as a company if suddenly you're integrating with other companies at an enterprise level, and so you're bringing in APIs, you're using connectors, you're doing all of those things, and you're working on you know critical systems and things like that. So what I saw was that. If you had project team members that were of the just very consultant mindset, but not in the SaaS company mindset, there's that pushback and we got to write change orders and that's not exactly what we did. And that's not the scope that we signed up for and everything. Where, <laughs> sorry, I'm just thinking of all these little quotes, but like at the end of the day, they're like, hey, we want to use your crappy software and uh, and you need to be able to integrate to do it. And we don't want you to hear you push back or else we're not going to renew. And you have to find that line that's in between that. Right. It's like, OK, we're good. We know that this is going to be valuable for you. But like, you know, to Gantt chart them to death and to PMP them to death because, you know, they were super busy and they didn't get the files over to you. You can't be like, that's it. It's it's a it's a one week day for day change. And by the way, there's a change order here. Like that just does not work. I mean, but you can't be subservient and just let them walk all over you. So it's a very, you know, flexible, but rigid, like it's just malleable situation where you need to be able to say, this is how it goes and everything. And I, to be honest, this is still a lot of what I do for, my own consulting now because people are like, how do we do this? And and it's the scoping, it's what you do as a consultant. You scope up front, you bring in your services team, and you 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 know, but because you're not building custom stuff, you you get pretty good pattern recognition on the types of things to look for, which to be frank, it's always about crappy data. But no, I'm just kidding. But it's a, it's but you you sort of are like, okay. Let's not overwhelm them with stuff, but let's bring up the top five problems that always come up on any enterprise integration and go from there and you know get get a very friendly architect on the phone and and just have them walk through these types of questions. Hey, you know, can you send over a data sample? Hey, we're trying to do this. Do you have got permissions around X? Do you, you know, those types of things. Do you have read write and all those types of questions? And then suddenly you can make it less painful. So the sales team does not mind bringing in services into the into the pre-sales and then you're able to set up a contract that allows you to start the engagement off right you don't they don't feel like you're going to be change ordering them because i tell you what happens if you don't do this 
and the problem I always get called in to solve is that the it's a it's a smaller software company. They they signed everything up. You know, CEO said, "Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it with professional services." And the professional services comes in and they're like, "That's not a two month job. That's a six month job." And we're gonna have to change order like fifty thousand dollars or something like that. Oh crap! Oh crap! Well, but in there, and the customers like, "Too bad. I already asked for my budget for your crappy software, and we're not getting any more. So you kind of have to figure out how to make it happen." And then. And that happens. I've been, you know, Brian, that happens. They'll have 10 existing customers that are going through that. And what should have been a four month engagement are turning into 10 months. And then suddenly they're not collecting any MRR or ARR from these customers. And the finance team is wondering why can't they send invoices? And it's a huge problem. So so that's the big difference between the, you know, hey, we're going to come in for a six week discovery, scope it out and then start building up a, a nice little framework for us to start this nice, you know, multi-month, multi-year engagement versus working for a SaaS company and trying to do minimum viable possible so they can start getting their time to value using your software so you can renew it. But Jeff, I'm paying $2 million a year in licensing fees. Can't you just make my data work? Shouldn't it just all work right away? Yeah, that's that's the rub right there. And that's where you have to have these conversations internally at your software company to say, you know, do you want to carve that out of the software feed? Do you want to do X? Do you want to do Y? Or, hey, product team, make it easier to integrate. Build, you know, we're seeing that we're having to do the same transformation of data. So maybe you could build an ETL layer in there and then it's it's very smooth and you don't even need professional services so people can sign up faster and we can recognize revenue faster, which is always my go-to, like fix product. But get it, you know, yeah. if it's one-off bespoke, it's like, then you tell them. Like, and I've had... <laughs> I've had those conversations with the customers and they're like, whoa, wait, 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 are you telling me we're the only customer like that? And were you basically saying like, yeah, you're, you're the crazy one, right? You're the one that <laughs> <laughs> you're the one whose stuff is so bad that it's in the situation you, and you have to be able to have those conversations in a way where it's like, listen, yeah, you, you can clean your data or we can clean your data if that's the situation or you can build a connector we can build a connector you know or whatever the the problem set has to be and if it happens three four five times then suddenly it you know that's when you start bringing into the product is like hey by the way everybody's using salesforce maybe we need a salesforce adapter or something like that yeah it's not us it's you and what I found too, there's all these ebbs and swells where as over the years, as organizations go through various stages of transformation, which is, you know, first there's a reliance on professional services firms. And then there's a, oh, let's bring a lot of this in house. You know, there's been various eras where major software vendors, they're really pushing their own professional services firms versus leveraging other partners. And, you know, you and I have been on different sides because I can tell you we've been in we've been called in many times to like because when they've gotten annoyed with the professional services at the software vendor. Right. But being on different angles, I wonder if there's some stories from the field, you know, tip, tips and tricks on, on how these organizations can better leverage professional services firms or things not to do when leveraging. Well, you know, we did this right. Like, you know, with, with you when I was at Bright Cove, where it was like, you know, we can't have a huge team. So just for people who are unaware of this, if you are a software company and you want to eventually get sold or go public, if your professional services is too high as a SaaS company, they're going to say, no, 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 you're not a SaaS company. You are a services company. So I think it's a probably well, when I was at Brightco, it was probably around a 25 or 30 percent mark. Like you do not cross that mark where they're basically saying like, 
your services team makes too much money. And so but we're like, we need to get all these customers up and live and they like to use our team because we have a lot of experience in that. And what we wound up doing and using companies like yours was to say, hey, listen, we have a small team. We would like to dedicate our small team to just working on new and big problems. But we also have some sort of pro productionalized professional services packages to get your team so you can become experts on that. So two notes on that. It doesn't have to be exactly a product set, but if you would keep bumping into the same problem, like for us, it was like we're building the same video portal over and over and over and over again. George, do you want to do that? And if I'm George and uh, any other company, it's basically like, sure, can you give us enough business so that we can dedicate somebody to that? And that's that's a good thing for the professional services vendor to ask because if, you know, we were talking about Brightcove at the example, but whatever company is like, we're going to get you all trained up on Brightcove and you get, you dedicate your, your, you get maybe a PM and a software developer in there or maybe a whole team and they work on a project and then another one doesn't pop up and they forget everything. And then we call you up eight months later and you're like, oh, we got too much work going on. You're like, yeah, we don't have the, right? So, and so, mm -hmm. it, so there are, depends on the volume of stuff that comes in, but it's basically like, first of all, if if I'm calling up, you know, your company to help me out of a delivery problem, like I will fight to death on this with internally inside the software company that I work for. Don't start making George sell my software. That's 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 not a delivery problem you're trying to solve. You're trying to solve a sales problem. And I hate that because it's like, oh, well, let's give them some skim in the game. Let's see if they can get their customers to start using our stuff. And I'm like. That's not right. what we're trying to solve here. So my tip there is that if you're a software company and your services team is overwhelmed and you need a good batch of partners to do, bring them in and and start funneling business over to them and don't make them carry a quota because that's trying to solve for a different problem. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I think there are times though where not necessarily to sell your product, but to, to level up the, the product value, right? Because I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone in and I have a client, they want to buy this, this software platform, the software platform wants to sell it to the client, but they, they haven't, neither one of them have been able to justify it within the overall org. But when you start, when you, when you can now paint a picture of here's what, if we plug this into this overall change plan and this overall kind of transformation, now it makes it, it now it turns into this key that unlocks all this other stuff that maybe wouldn't have happened with such a myopic view of it thousand percent agree and i still think that's a different problem that's that's being solved like th that is you as your company saying we want to we're, we're we've got a palette of different things that we're trying to do to help you as a company out and i'm like oh you need a video strategy okay we'll bring in this or you need an accounting platform we know which is the best accounting platform to do but that is not that accounting platform to say Hey George, I'm not going to kick you any more services revenue unless you bring us ten new clients. I, I just don't agree with that thing. It's like right. I, I brought George in because I don't have a big enough team, and we're being told not to hire anymore because I'm making too much money, or, or we don't want to be seen as a service company. We just don't want a large services business. We want to work on small, or sorry, sorry, but a smaller set of clients, but maybe work on the next gen thing that we want to do, like the big problem, and then and then get these repeatable solutions for somebody else to go deliver on. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of an executive at an organization going through some sort of change. They bought some software from software vendor X. They've got their professional services team in. They've maybe got someone like us in there as well. What should that those executives do better? How can they be better in, in leveraging our firms? Yeah. 
<laughs> just be better. Be better. Well, as you know, I I'm, I'm a big fan of the M&M cookie at the kickoff meeting. So always make sure you feed the consultants mm. well. But no, I, I so be informed. In order to be a better customer, you have to be involved, and uh, and you need to. What am I trying to go for here? Is basically say be involved in the in the pro in the project, and also be meeting the vendor every step of the way. Um, the classic example I'll give on this is like, you have a kickoff meeting and they don't bring the right people to the kickoff meeting and they haven't explained the reason mm -hmm. why they're bringing the software stuff in. So then as a vendor, you know, you might have a project manager and a bunch of developers suddenly start doing the sales thing like, no, well, we can do X and we can do Y because it hasn't been explained better to them, right? So so that's like step number one. And then it's like making sure that they have the right amount of resources associated with the pro product and everything. I will say 1000%, the biggest problem I ever see is by the time you start building stuff, now it's an agile thing. So, you, you know, you want to get like business process testing in a repeatable fashion and having people actually go in and do those things. And, you know, we joked about this of like having to <laughs> have like pizza parties where people come in and start like going through and bank kicking around in the software and stuff like that, because we, we need a dedicated hour from 10 or 15 different people. And that tells me like you have to bribe their employees because they don't understand what the importance of it is for their job that they need to get to be done. You know, if, if, if you're talking about the example where it's, it's, it's software vendor X is professional services company, and then your company is also working in there, like, well, don't paint an adversarial relationship between the two vendor companies, right? Like, and that happens just so much where like, oh, I don't know about George and what he's got going on with his team, X, Y, Z. It's like, that is not the way to get successful stuff by pitting vendors against each other. I actually have not, if you asked me three months ago, I said, I haven't seen that much at all recently, but it still happens. And uh, it's, it's happening <laughs> on a project that I've seen very recently. And, and that's, that's just one of those things. Don't, don't meeting the teams to death and put this massive governance structure in where it's not as important. It, like, I, I understand having status meetings and everything like that, but like over uh, or micromanaging all of the vendors and all of the teams is just, that's gonna what's drive your cost up and then slow things down as well too. And yeah. people don't do that. They, it's a level of trust that you have to build up in, and you know, so the software vendor and the services company need to make sure that they can establish trust and credibility fast so that they feel like they don't have three to five check-ins every week because the vend the the customer feels like that's the only way that they're going to get answers that's just a huge problem right like you know everybody yeah. needs to be better about communication and um and things like that so those are those are some of the areas where i see you know companies have to do it but like there's nothing worse than the business owner that signs the check or signs the contract and then just disappears and you need decisions to be made and they can't be making decisions and unfortunately that's why every contact crack that I've ever written has like response time on questions with, you know, maybe not even dollar charges, but like time charge, you know, thing, these, this will push things out if we don't have the answers to the questions that we need, Yeah, or, you know, for, for yeah. when critical things pop up and everything. Yeah, because as the client, you you have the vision, or hopefully you do have the vision, because you're spending a bunch of money, right? One would hope, uh, but no one. You need to be an advocate for your own vision, and and that requires. You know, I don't care how scoped out something is. I don't how care how planned out it is. Like you need to carry that vision into all of the various touch points and the meetings. And if you if you don't have the time, you can't do this. Then you need to start going hip to hip with someone that you know is going to be able to absorb that vision and carry it through. I think some of 
of the best successes we've had is where someone on my team or myself is like, you get enough time in to, at the beginning and along the way that now you can kind of be a proxy in a room for that client that has the vision and they feel confident that you have the same exact vision. Is, is there any bigger unicorn than that like business analyst that can, that can get that vision down and then break it down? Uh, and business analysis is what I'm using as sort of a generalized function instead of the term, but and then be able to mm -hmm. relate that those business terms back to the tech people to say like, no, this is where we need to do it in the technology. Like if you find those people, they're just unicorns because they can take that vision and they understand everything that needs to go. And then they can start the blocking and tackling with the tech and the business teams to make sure that the requirements are broken down in a way that the, that the tech teams can understand what they need to go build without having to go through just back and forth and back and forth on requirement, you know, clarifications and everything. Yeah. Yeah. The moment that you can feel comfortable not being in the room is such a such a relief at that point. Right. Yeah. 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 How do you how do you how do you address that now? Uh, are you just getting hip to hip in the beginning and you're making sure that you're just understanding a thousand percent what they're trying to do and repeating it back to them. And I'm just curious on your yeah, approach I, on that. Yeah. I think back to your, you know, but what you said before, as far as you got to form a team of one across yourself and the client and whatever other partners or software vendors are in there, a lot of upfront time, you know, workshopping it and, and talking about what the future is and what the vision is and what's it going to be like to live in this new environment. So it's, it's kind of less about scope at that point, right. And, and, and features, and it's more about let's, let's talk about what a shared vision of the future is. And then, and then always carrying that through along the way. And then, you know, going out to some, some restaurants and having some drinks and getting to know someone at a more personal level also helps, right? It's a big problem with the way things are these days with the, you know, people will see this in 10 years, there's a somewhat of a pandemic going on and it's not easy to go out and do the restaurant thing and, and things like that. But but what is that? It That's a relationship, right? That's 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 a relationship. And, and, and that's why those things are most important because it's important to build relationships outside of just the hour meeting and go from there. And that's, that's why those things are important. Yeah. Because, because in those dinners and those drinks or whatever you're doing outside of the office, that's when you start telling each other what your fears are. That's where you start telling people, well, you know, what am I measured on? What, what am I afraid of? What's going to happen? What are these like disaster scenarios that could happen? And our best successes are when, you know, you really let that down that guard on both sides to talk about how am I measured? What are my fears? You know, you just hit on something that I, again, and relate this back to the SaaS world instead of the spoke world, but um, it relates to both. I just, um, you know, when you've got a lot of project managers report to you, you, you just, it becomes your, you've got the psychiatrist's office. <laughs> People are just walking in and they're like, oh my God, I just got off a status call and blah, blah, and they're just hammering me and X, Y, and Z. And it's exactly what you just said there. Like, let's, let's, let's peel this back here. Why do you think this person is unloading on you? They're scared. They are sitting on top of a big project that somebody's paying, that their boss or their boss's boss has paid a lot of money or they made a decision or their boss made a decision to go forward with your software or this project to be built. And they either, now they're scared for some reason. Maybe, maybe timeline's unclear. Maybe technology decisions are unclear. They're at a point where they're not sure which way they should go or whatever. But the fact of the matter is these people are, are suddenly scared and they are letting out on you. And the best thing you can do is feel the empathy for the client. And that was super important in the SaaS world because it's like, again, they made a, you know, especially when you're working in all startups, it's like they went with us instead of the industry standard. And they, they are now scared because they could have just gone with the industry standard and been fine. But 
but they didn't and they took a chance with us. So we need to be better about our reporting. Like, by, did you send your status report out 24 hours in advance or did you just drop a bomb on them in the, in the meeting? Like, let's, you know, all these things, right? <laughs> like, so let's not do that and let's be open and communicative. Like I would always tell my teams, if you've got some bad news, first of all, you probably found out there was an idea that there might be some bad news before the, you know, way before it popped up. Somebody should be saying like, eh, this could be an issue later on. And just popping these things up early because if you raise something up as an issue two, three, four, six weeks before it happens, it's there and people can understand it. If you're like, hey, yeah, there's a massive problem. We were supposed to deliver this tomorrow, but um, now it's going to be three weeks late. And it's like, really? Three weeks late? Like, you're just finding that out today on our status call? It's <laughs> like, and, and, you know, so open transparency. As you can tell, I'm very tactical, so I can, I'm sure you can pull these things up into the more strategic sense. <laughs> well, I think I think we, we've created the perfect formula. You need to be an advocate for your own vision, and you need to tell us your deepest, darkest fears and secrets, and, and then all will be well. And I think both of us as um, professional services executives, we give everyone out there permission that if you have a consultant that comes into your status meeting, and all of a sudden something switched from green to red, and this is the first time you're hearing about it, you can throw them out the window on behalf of all consultants out there. You have permission. Drives me crazy. I I, I believe I said this on another podcast, but but for those people who aren't following me from podcast to podcast, I remember that there was a project manager that used to sit in the cube next to me. And I remember her being on the phone with the developer and she's like, okay, it, it, it's, it's 1250. I, I'm not lying. I'm not making this up. It's 1258. The meeting starts at one o'clock. I'm going to hit the status I'm going to hit it. I'm going to send it right now. And then they hit it and then she started up the conference meeting. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, never, ever, ever do that to anybody. Like, that's just the worst thing you could. Let's drop a big bomb on them, but like, let's bury it in a status report and hopefully it doesn't come up on the call. Like, yeah, what, what, yeah. What, so anyways, I digress. But uh, yes, you've got 100,000% permission to throw that person out of a window if you need to. So. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> All right, Jeff. So any, anything else from the, hey, don't do this with, with consultants that you could think oh, of? That could just be a, a whole podcast series in, in, in themselves. But like, I, you know, it's just don't just don't hide the messages. Be open and transparent bring problems up when they're, when there's a little bit of smoke and if they got resolved then that's great. Like, Hey, that problem. Yeah, we resolved that. Oh, they're great. That's great. That's great. Yeah. But we got this other thing that's hanging out there. Let's, let's take care of it. So I'm just big on the open and the communication scope stuff out in advance. Don't bill hourly. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, but uh, in general, do your upfront work as much as you can be, you know, if you're, if you're working for a software company, have that flexibility that you need to do, but make sure you don't get subservient um, and have some things in, in process to, to be able to take care of these inevitable things that pop up when they do, because it's software and, and stuff happens. So that's great, great advice. And on that note, uh, I'd like to end with Jeff, what's the best advice you have ever personally received? Oh my God. Ever or just in, in business or? Uh... Ever, ever in life, anything. So I'm trying to keep this clean because my dad was like a plumber from Chelsea and, and, you know, from Korean War. So like I'm trying. It's funny because the best piece of advice that keeps popping into my head, uh, maybe not, well, I was running services. So, um, but there was a situation where, I mean, the situation was about like a promotional type of situation. But at the end of the day, I could not get my boss, my, my manager to do something that was super critical to me. 
And even though the manager agreed that 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 thing should happen. And I went to my mentor and I, I think everybody should have a mentor. And maybe I should just say always have a mentor and just sign off. But like my mentor said to me, OK, if if this thing keeps dragging out and and they've already agreed that it's the right thing to do, you put it at the top of your list every time you meet with this person, which should be weekly. And then the next time you meet with them, you say, listen, you either can't do something about it or you won't do something about it. And mm. I brought that into that meeting and the person was offended yet proud at the same time, which was like, wow, I can't believe you raised it up to like, you know, this like survivor, like tribal council level of stuff. But <laughs> um, yeah, but she was like tough negotiator. I understand. And um, and then that that thing happened. And that person always respected me more because you took a stand, took a stand for myself and, and things like that, but didn't do it in an over emotional uh, manner. So, yeah, I love that. It's it's hard to argue, right? It, 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 you either can or, or you won't. There's, there's no arguments in between there. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I love it, Jeff. Thanks so much for being here. Really had a great time. Same here, man. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Technology should serve vision, not set it. At Intevity, we design clear blueprints for organizational readiness and digital transformation that allow companies to chart new paths. Then we drive the implementation of those plans with our client partners in service of growth. Find out more at www.intevity.com forward slash podcast. You've been listening to C-Suite Blueprint. If you like what you've heard, be sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss a new episode. And while you're there, we'd love it if you could leave a rating. Just give us however many stars you think we deserve. Until next time.